3CR would like to acknowledge the Kulin Nations, true owners, caretakers and custodians of the land from which we broadcast. 3CR pays respect to elders past and present of the Kulin Nation. We recognise their unceded sovereignty. This is 3CR Breakfast. Alternative news, analysis and current affairs. Monday to Friday, 7am to 8.30am. Good morning. You're on 3CR 855 AM. It's right on 701 and you're here with... Well, Katya. Well, Katya, <laughs> that's me. Um, <laughs> M and myself, Shahrazad. Good morning, everyone. It's the is it the last day of January today? Yeah, it's the thirty first of January. Yeah. yeah, wow. My God, I can't believe we've come to the end of January already. I feel like it's been a really full year already. I'm like, it's not even been one month yet. I know it has been. Oh, and speaking of the thirty first, I need to do a shout out. Happy birthday, Dad! If you're listening this early, <laughs> if you're driving in your car on your way to work, because I know he listens to the first half an hour of the show. That's so sweet. Happy birthday, Happy Dad. birthday, Cassius Dad. Happy birthday, Dad. <laughs> <laughs> so on the show today, um, we have so an interview at 7.30 with Kent Morris um, from The Torch speaking about the Confined Ten exhibition, which is actually launching tonight in St Kilda. Mm. So if you've never been to a Confined Ten uh, it's they're amazing. It's all art from Aboriginal artists that are currently incarcerated in Victoria's prisons, and it's going to be a massive exhibition tonight. Over 200 artists exhibiting, um, and if you buy the artwork, the money does go directly to the artists. Uh, and then we've got Nick Kent, the National Director of Students for Sensible Drug Policy, talking about their um, new campaign hashtag Be Heard Not Harmed about pill testing. Awesome. And then at a bit past eight, um, we're going to be chatting with the Huxleys and Benji Ra about the special event that's happening at the Immigration Museum next Friday called Summer Courtyard I Feel Love, which is both drawing from their special exhibition, which is looking at love at the moment, which is really amazing, and also, you know, in line with Midsummer, is celebrating queer love in all its many forms. Please. Yeah, <laughs> really lovely show lined up today. And maybe first up, though, we'll just jump into some announcements and then a really great track. Have you ever wondered about the meaning of the terms identity politics, intersectionality, turf, or institutional racism? Same here. This summer, Tuesday Breakfast is going back to school to answer these questions and more. Join us as we learn from experts, academics, writers, activists, and people with lived experiences to share their knowledge on decolonization, sovereignty and self-determination, race and identity, sexuality and gender, and disability and accessibility. Knowledge shouldn't be locked away at a university, so let us bring it to you. Tune into Summer School, Tuesday mornings from 7am, starting the 8th of January, 855 am or via 3cr.org.au. And check out our Instagram, 3CR Tuesday Breakfast, for more details. You're listening to 3CR Thursday Breakfast, 8.55am. That track was by Emily Waramara. It's called Steady. I'm really obsessed with it at the moment. It's so beautiful. Um, and, yeah, the backbeat is by 
sorry, it's called Together and the Backbeat is my steady, but I've been listening to it on repeat all week. It's so good. And now we're going to be jumping into another track um, by The Last Connection. It's called, hold on, just need to find it first. <laughs> um, it's called, oh, I know what I want to play, but I just can't find it. So listeners, you've got to bear with me for a moment. Um, <laughs> hold on, maybe I'll just put on a little station announcement. We'll be right back. <laughs> We appreciate, like, you mob and all the people coming and visit us and doing stuff like this, you know. It's very good. It keeps a positive mindset in our mind, you know, and we really appreciate it. Because of her we can, yeah. I want to be a better, better man, yeah. Because of her we can. Beyond the Bars is 3CR's annual prison project, giving voice to Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander inmates across Victoria. You can listen to audio from this year and previous years online anytime. How do you rehabilitate someone? They just put you in a cell and tell you this is how long you're going to do and it's meant to rehabilitate you, you know? Rehabilitation starts when you get out. That's when your life begins again, doesn't it? In here, your life's on hold. Just go to 3cr.org.au forward slash beyond the bars. Or if you'd like us to post you a free CD, contact the station on 03 when I first come to this jail, it was about 10 years ago, and I was a young one. A whole heap of young ones come off the truck there the other day, and they call me Auntie Marlene, so it helped me recognise and realise and like, pull myself up like, yeah. They're starting to look up to me, so I've got to represent and do the right thing now. Just go to 3cr.org.au forward slash beyond the bars. Like an ancestor, you'll know way back when. Help Precia support the rights of Indigenous Australians. They mean to save our culture and save our dreams, our footprints, dreams, our songline, and keep our culture going strong. Of course, a lot of the Aboriginals, having been stolen, were put into state care, and also others. The recognition were... of what our people have been through in the last 200 years, the recognition of our culture in the last 40,000 years, and the recognition of where we are heading into the future. Welcome to uh, Survival Day, Invasion Day. 223 years ago, the white man landed on our shores. Subscribe to 3CR and help keep Indigenous voices on air. Call us on 94198377 or visit 3cr.org.au. Subscribe now. Would you like to get involved in the decision-making process at 3CR? Nominations are now open in 3CR's Community Radio Federation elections. You can stand as a subscriber representative and have valuable input into the programming and future direction of this diverse and dynamic radio station. Nominations are due by Friday the 1st of March at 5pm. For more information, contact 3CR Station Manager on 94198377 or download the nomination form at the 3CR website, 3cr.org.au. Forward slash people. You're listening to 3CR Thursday Breakfast. <laughs> Sorry. Oh, I feel like we're really we're doing well this morning. <laughs> Before, sorry listeners, you had to listen while I scrolled my phone just so you can hear Sherry laughing in the background. We're really, you know, we're just getting into the swing of this year again. But now we're going to go into a really great track called Are We There Yet? by The Last Connection. 
You're tuned in to 3CR Thursday Breakfast, 8.55am. Just then we heard the track Are We There Yet by The Last Connection featuring Simone Stacey. You might know Simone Stacey from um, Shakaya, which she did with Naomi Wenatong back in the 90s. Um, so after sort of Shakaya ended, Naomi Wenatong went to start up the hip-hop group The Last Connection um, while Simone Stacey took a bit of a break from music, but then she's back um, for that really amazing track. So, yeah, there we go. Some Top tip for the morning, it's 17 past 7. Like I said, you're tuned to 3CR Thursday Breakfast, and now I'm going to hand over to Katia. Yes, so last week in The Age, there was an article called Students Pass Despite Having Little English. It was written by Henrietta Cook. It was actually um, written in last Thursday, but we didn't cover it at the time. Uh, and it looks at the um, number of... I guess, letters to the age that they've received from academics who are feeling pressured to pass international students uh, despite, I guess, um, students that maybe don't have enough or adequate English skills to pass the unit Um, and also, I guess, assessments that maybe a few years ago wouldn't have been of a passing standard. So um, Scheherazade and I both actually work in the university um, sphere. So I'm at a student union and Scheherazade can let you know what she's doing. I won't talk on her behalf. Um, but yeah, so I do work with a lot of international students and have seen these issues. But I think there's some broader implications that we want to address um, at 3CR because it, um, the, this article and what it could uh, have the consequences of it uh, are quite dire and maybe don't address some of the more complex issues that are going on for international students. Yeah, um, and also, I don't know, should we talk a bit about, I suppose, the issues that the article raised? Mm. Um, but also, yeah, it's it's linked to the broader sort of like uh, privatisation of universities and the fact that universities um, are using international, uh, the, the international student market, I suppose, as a, as a main source or uh, using, uh, starting to use that as a high source of income, Um which is which is kind of which is kind of scary because then what does that even even if the so even if we do take um, what the articles are saying like so having higher um, entry scores like um, English English speaking entry scores um, that still wouldn't change the fact that we're still uh, universities still need more funding and the way that they're getting funding is through the sort of business money cash cows using um, yeah. Um, international students who are mainly, I think there's 30% come from China um, as, yeah, cash cows. I've said like quite a few times now. (laughs) But they they are, they are. And so for for an international student to get into an Australian university, they need an IELTS score of seven. So IELTS Mm. is the international testing framework. Um, And IELTS seven is quite, is it, has it changed? Scheherazade's looking confused. Yeah, yeah, no, no. I I saw it's in between, um, uh, sorry, let me just grab that and and speak because uh speak speaking of um victorian universities i think um some of the highest um monash uni has the highest percentage of international students mm. and so and and the english standards are quite high but what between six and seven six and seven which is quite a high level but what happens is um International students also come into universities through uh, third-party agents. And so often in-country agents will 
use different testing methods uh, to get uh, students into universities that may not be at the right level to actually gain entry. So you're seeing um, not only universities under or struggling to get funding and using international students as a way of funding universities, but then you have third-party private contractors that are also feeding international students into universities. And then what this means is that... Um, in terms of student welfare and what we see at the union, uh, students struggle uh, and end up failing and also end up committing disciplinary offences because they may not have the command of English that um, allows them to understand things like plagiarism, referencing, colluding, um, and also because those, uh, I guess, mechanisms for discipline and academic progress are different here in Australia. So it's a huge impact on student welfare, and it also means that international students can be failing progressively, and the university will keep them there until they eventually become excluded. But that could be two, three years of 40 grand a year in fees um, and a student accommodation before a student, um, the university takes a stance on the student maybe not being able to be there. But Shahrazad, you've said that you've seen interesting things in your work as a tutor as well. Yeah. So um, having to mark, so I've, I've done a, a bit of marking um, and having to... Like it, it lowers the standard, so we we, we scale um, uh, assignments and that sort of thing. Um, so you know you start you start off with w whatever assignment uh, you know number one, and then you go through the assignments, and then you scale it. So usually you give the first assignment quite a bad, you know, you're like, oh, what is this? You know, blah blah blah, blah. give a bad mark, but then you realise that everyone else maybe yeah. has like like the assignments aren't up to the standard that you'd expect that a, 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 H, a HD, a high distinction would get. Mm. Um, so then you end up scaling down. So things that should, so assignments that should have, for example, failed end up passing because you, you want to pass the students um, and assignments that should have got maybe a credit uh, end up getting uh, distinctions or high distinctions. Um, so it ends up lowering the standards as, as well. Um, and you know how does that feed into teaching um and also uh just at university the other day actually uh, i overheard uh i was having lunch and i overheard um some students speaking um and there was an international student that was saying oh um i don't even know if i should do this this assignment because i haven't done the other two assignments from like a few months ago and the domestic student was like oh why don't you do the assignments you like this assignment's worth 40 percent you know you should be you, even if you pass this you won't pass the course and 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 the international student was just like oh i just didn't like they literally said oh i just didn't understand what to do yeah and and that was and that was just i think this was like a few days after this article came out i was like whoa <laughs> this is yeah um yeah and and, and um I remember uh, just just a bit of a chop and change, but I remember my mother was an academic, and I remember in the late nineties and early two thousands, um, at this prominent university in Australia, she she was really annoyed at this new vice chancellor. She was like, "Oh, he's a businessman. He's not an academic." And I, you know, at the time, I didn't really know what that what that meant, you know, and she was just complaining about like, oh, universities and business and blah, blah, blah. But now I know what it means, mm. you know. Yeah. <laughs> um, we've, uh, universities have turned into businesses rather than knowledge production. Yeah. And then what this does, and so what we have seen as well, is that then 
um, failing international students and also students that end up because of their language skills uh, committing acts of academic um, misconduct there's we're starting to see a trend where there's racism more and more racism coming out from academics who start to think that international students are cheaters and internationals and so there is um, this growing and it's really it's concerning and at the union we're trying to raise this um, but it can be really difficult of often to raise well racism in an institutional setting where everyone thinks they're progressive academics um, but the the fact that students are consistently cheating and not because they're intentionally doing it but because they don't understand um, well, you know, they're told to read a manual about referencing and colluding and plagiarism and they don't quite understand it because their English skills aren't up to scratch. So they're relying on, um, you know, their friends to help them. Some of them are buying in assignments. So then there's this growing... And Google kind of Translate. And Google Translate. And the amount of Google Translated essays that are mm-hmm. then pulled up for plagiarism, um, it's astonishing. And so then we see a growing trend of academics starting to distrust uh, foreign students and start to have racist attitudes towards the fact that uh, foreign students, are, international students are most likely to be doing these things. Mm. I think it's led to like some, I think there's some standards in, in um, marking and that sort of thing cause, uh, where you remove the name of the student mm. because of like exactly that. Um, so if people see, especially if it's like a Chinese name, you know, they're automatically have that in their head that, oh, you know, yep. um, this is probably plagiarised. So they'll check that more than they'll check like a like an Anglo name. Yeah, it definitely does happen. We've seen it happen where students, international students in classes will be pulled up um, for, you know, having high Turnitin scores. So Turnitin is the um, program that's used where students submit their assignments to Turnitin and then Turnitin gives a figure of how much is plagiarised. Um, and so... Yeah, we'll see that student, students might have, local students might have similar Turnitin scores to international students, and yet international students seem to bear the brunt of more harsher penalties. Mm. Mm. Um, also, I was just thinking as, as we were speaking as well, um, it's not just the university sector that's taken advantage of um, international students. Um, well, maybe it is linked to it's still tertiary education, um, but there's been a high number of the you know in this I shouldn't say in the city, but like you know a high number of like private institutions mm-hmm. that have like popped up um, selling um, these diplomas or advanced diplomas in in X Y Z uh, things like graphic design, uh, I can't think of a business stuff you know that sort of stuff, um, and. Uh, actually got a friend who is studying at one of these institutions um, and they wanted to transfer to a different institution um, and they c- couldn't because the institution pretty much owns owns their visa because the visa is done through that private institution so they can't move to a different institution because they actually found that the, the level of education that they were receiving was, was quite um, substandard so they wanted to go to a bigger institution um, that was like a like an actual TAFE mm-hmm. rather than a private institution um, and and I think they they will allow her only if she pays the rest of her of her course yeah. to move institutions so I don't know there's something in there there's something about this these uh, the popping up of like private 
institutions. Definitely. And there's also in terms of universities as well, so not just those private colleges that you're talking about, Shahrazad, but um, students that want to stay in the country but may be excluded from a university. To stay in the country, you need a what's called, I, I don't know what it stands for, oh, Certificate of Education, a COE, and a COE is issued by your provider and then the government can issue you a student visa. So to stay in the country, students will move to these private colleges or universities that have sort of popped up quite recently that where um, more established universities won't recognise prior learning from these institutions, but to stay in the country to secure their visa, these students will move to these universities and private colleges. Mm-hmm. Um, and so again, there's a question around we're still just using these students as funding. Mm. Um, but maybe we'll head now to a community service announcement because up next we'll have an interview with Kent Morris. Whether it's hip-hop, blues, reggae, jazz, opera, roots, curry or world music you're into, 3CR's music menu is serving it up to you. You're with Music Sans Frontier, music from around Australia and around the world. Good afternoon everybody and welcome to another edition of Great Voices. You're listening to Hits is Hop on 3CR 855 AM. Music matters on 3CR, 12 noon every Friday. Keep these diverse tunes on the air by subscribing to 3CR. Call 94198377. The newspaper shout, a new style is born. My name is Ruby Susan Mouth, but my pronouns are they. Hello, I'm Liz Wright. Welcome to Are You Looking at Me? and International Day for People with Disability. Today on the show, we meet Trish Maloney and Frank Corbenji. Did you miss our 12-hour special broadcast for International Day of People with a Disability? Radical disabled programmers discuss the NDIS, Aboriginal rights, creativity, youth access, financial security, parenting, LGBTIQ, intersections and so much more. Head to 3cr.org.au forward slash disability day 2018 and listen back anytime. for human rights, indigenous sovereignty and climate justice. Our destination is Manus Island. Join us for the Freedom Flotilla. Sailforjustice.org. Get on board. A 3CR supporter. Are you 18 years and over? Have you been stopped by a Victorian police officer or protective service officer in the last 10 years? Would you like to contribute to research that aims to inform law reform and litigation strategies to prevent over-policing? Go to policestopsurvey.online for more information and to take part. That's policestopsurvey.online, a 3CR supporter. 
You're on 3CR 855 AM. It's right on 7.32. So the Torches Indigenous Arts in Prisons and Community Program is marking its 10th anniversary with its largest exhibition to date, featuring over 200 artworks from over 200 artists. And the launch will be held tonight in St Kilda's Carlisle Street Art Space. To talk with us about the exhibition this year uh, is Kent Morris, Bakinji man with over 20 years' experience as a practising artist and curator and has special knowledge and connections within the Indigenous Australian arts and culture industry. In 2011, Kent joined the Torch to design, develop and deliver the Indigenous arts and uh, in prisons and community program. Welcome, Kent. Thank you. Good morning. Good morning. Um, congratulations on reaching the 10-year mark on what is a really fantastic program. Look, thank you. It is a significant milestone and we've worked very hard to keep the program alive. It was a pilot program way back in 2011, which was built on the strength of the first three confined exhibitions where artworks were just taken from a, a handful of prison and displayed once a year. Um, now we run a, well, for the last seven and a half years, we've run an all-year all program in the 15 prisons of Victoria for Indigenous men and women. And that program also runs in the post-release when the men and women come out of prison. And significantly, the the community and the, men, and the men and women in the program have had a huge hand in designing this program. So it's been incredibly successful, I think, on the back of. It's been partly designed by the men and women that it's delivered to, and the Indigenous community have had a huge uh, input into that. Fantastic. And so, because I, I do know that some of the people that have been participants in the past have actually even ended up working at the Torch. So what's the um, the role of this program in assisting Aboriginal uh, people inside Victoria's prisons? Yeah, good question. So, look, the program was built around the fact that for 2.7 of the general population, we make up close to 30% of the prison population and I think everyone can understand if you look at those figures, that's absolutely unacceptable in this country. It's, it's so uh, unequal, it's, it's incredibly unfair and discriminatory. So it's been going on for a long time and what the torch thought was, how can we make an impact in this area and do something? So I was employed to, to build the program and the torch had the idea it might be an art-based program. But I, in my first weeks of, of work, went out to the prisons and spoke to Indigenous men and women who were incarcerated and asked them what would they want from a program of this nature and nobody said they wanted to learn about art. Um, all the questions I received were around, you know, what, what's my totem? Um, I've never seen photos of my grandparents. What are our stories? I've never seen... Um, I want to learn my lingo. We don't understand who we are or where we're from. And so how can we paint when we don't actually have a lot, a lot of those building blocks of identity and particularly cultural identity. So the program really provides cultural information. Um, it's the second most important thing for the men and women was connecting to the arts industry, feeling that there was a big barrier. They didn't understand how the arts industry worked. They wanted to be a part of it, but it was a big gap of knowledge. So the second part of it is around arts vocational support, which is really defining how to connect to the Indigenous arts industry, which is a massive industry, turns over a huge amount of money per annum. Um, and then thirdly, it was interesting that the priorities were thirdly around yeah, constructing an artwork around the, the technicalities and the formalities and composition for that artwork. So the program essentially provides art, cultural and arts vocational support and with that, because you mentioned that the arts industry produces, or it's you know it's a huge industry that with a, a lot of money turnover. So there was a policy change a few years ago around the Aboriginal arts policy model from corrections. So 
so uh, people inside prison now can actually have access to that money. So when you buy an artwork, that goes directly to the artist. Is that right? Yes, look, this was a significant change. Um, the, what I learned when I left the Curry Heritage Trust of Uncle Sandy Atkinson was that the Indigenous community had been lobbying for around 40 years for um, incarcerated Aboriginal men and women to be able to sell their artworks and to just try and find a way forward upon release instead of going back into the same particularly socioeconomic disadvantage that often drove them back to prison. And it was always falling on deaf ears. Um, but 40 years of advocacy from elders in the community allowed the torch and myself to be at the forefront, I guess, of getting this policy passed, but it was on the back of all the hard work that had been done over so many years. And I think it's a very grassroots, no-nonsense approach that says you know, the men and women are building skills and connection to culture and community and, and social and emotional well-being and really confronting some of the, the trauma that they've faced and, and healing through that. But if we're really serious about addressing this problem, we've got to also realise that uh, building skills that are viable upon release, but also having some kind of economic independence and, and self-determination prior to release to allow for successful reintegration back to the community is really important. And we don't want everyone to come out to be a successful artist, although many are. What we're really hoping and what's happening is that men and women just find within themselves a way to understand that they have significant potential. I think you know, Senator Dodson's always saying this, that so much of the Indigenous community potential is locked up behind prison walls. If we can just release that potential and find a way for for healing and for significant, I guess, economic independence so that men and women can not only make better decisions but just get out of the, the cycle of homelessness and all of the issues that face you when you release prison without much economic uh, you know, stability, then we're really on, on track to solve some of the high rates of incarceration but also the high rates of reoffending through this process. And you mentioned that um, how much potential is locked up behind bars, and I've been to a few confines in the past, and the artwork is incredible. Like, it's really amazing, beautiful artwork, and every time I go, I'm so impressed. So what can people expect to see tonight? Because you've got over 200 exhibiting artists. Right, so that's, yes, and uh, look, it's a, a huge number of artists and artworks. The first confine had around 18 uh, artists from the program and about 25 artworks and, and this year there's around I think 217 artists in, uh, exhibiting around 230 artworks but it's a good point you make about the vibrancy and, and the powerful uh, nature of the artworks all of the men and women who deliver the program are, in, are Indigenous artists, practising Indigenous artists we've employed four men and women from the program to also go back and deliver the program whether that's in community or in the prison so there's a high level of support around the level and quality of, that the art needs to be to compete in the art market. But I think more importantly, the men and women are working so hard to make change in their lives that you can see that in the works. There's that powerful expression of connection to country and culture. There's always a lot of works which might look to the initially to the eye like they're around... Uh, they might be sea animals or land animals or, or birds, but often those stories are related to connection to family. And so... The exhibition, I think, is a very positive expression of how the essential elements for, for us as Indigenous people, our connection to our country, our culture, our family, are crucial in kind of resolving and, and approaching some of the issues of disadvantage that we face. But I think what's also important for people to understand is that this program has been designed, delivered and developed Indigenous community for our community. And 
we're best placed to do that because we understand the historical issues. All of our families have, have, in one way or another, been impacted by um, the effects of colonisation, and nearly all of our families have been impacted by incarceration at some point. So there's a real understanding, and, of course, we've got the most at stake in terms of delivering the program because we're working for our community. Mm. And I think, you know, you mentioned before that there's been, um, when we were talking about the Aboriginal arts policy model that Corrections introduced and how there was, you know, you said I think 40 years of uh, lobbying and advocacy towards um, allowing artists to access money. And I think it's a testament to the fact that it's such a successful program that um, has to negotiate so many complexities around working within that space and and I've done programs in prisons before and it's an absolute minefield sometimes and so I wanted to know what were some of the challenges that you've had to overcome in trying to carry out this project? Yes and you're right and look interestingly from day one really haven't faced too many to be honest the the prisons straight away even with the 18 month pilot program that I built, even within that short period of time, not only on the ground for the prison officers and other prison staff, but also back at head office in corrections, people were just seeing the change for the Indigenous inmates. They were just seeing such behavioural change. They were seeing the positive impacts it was having. So I've been very fortunate to receive such overwhelming support from corrections. And so navigating the prison system, and I absolutely understand what you mean about the complexities and from facility to facility, whether you're, <laughs> whether you're in maximum security to medium or minimum, you might be at Port Phillip Prison with all of the, you know, the, the sectioning off of the, of the inmates, and it is complicated. But the, I think the nature of the program, the way it's been built and delivered, the buy-in from the, the inmates has been extraordinary. Um, and so the prison, or well, Corrections Victoria particularly, and, and the Victorian government have just seen how successful it is. And so our support is extraordinary. We get incredible access. I've, Initially, at one point, I, I never gave up on anybody. So even if a fellow was, you know, either a man or a woman was, you know, might have been in, in the slot in, in solitary confinement or management issues that they've just been separated from the um, the rest of the group, I, I've delivered the program through that little slot of, of the door in, in uh, you know, when people are in in solitary confinement. So I've never thought there's anyone we can't get access to. And to their credit, the, the, the prison staff have always given me unfettered access to, to all of the inmates that, are, that wanted to be part of the program. Um, so I think we, we can see when we work together, we can really make change. You know, once uh, organisations, and particularly you know, government organisations, we're obviously a not-for-profit, non-government organisation, but working in, in the monolith that is correct in Victoria and through all of those prisons and in community in the post-release, I think when we all coordinate and support something positive, you know, we can make change. It's not that we can't. And everyone that comes to the exhibition, I'm so grateful to hear that you've been over the years, we're all making that change together just by coming to the show, by supporting it, you know, people buying the artworks. We now have calendars and a beautiful book. Everybody's impacting on this area by just supporting the, the men and women in the program. And, and I also want to say congratulations to you too because when saying that, um, you know, you didn't give up on people that were inside, you would, um, if, even if you had to talk to them through glass or um, try to get to them in other ways, people that are remand and maximum security, I want to say congratulations to your own resilience because I know what that can be like. It's sometimes a real struggle and when people are um, particularly under uh, maximum security and management, uh, people can get really lost inside and really lose their connection to just any kind of humanity when they're kept um, behind such closed doors. So, you know, well done to you too, Kent. 
No, thank you. But I think you're absolutely right. One thing people mightn't understand, we can't have people coming out, you know, more, more damaged than when they went in. And this is, you know, what we often hear, that uh, men and women going into prison, and particularly for Indigenous men and women who were overrepresented, particularly in the juvenile justice system, well, they might be going from being teenagers from the juvenile justice into the adult prison system, and it's, it's damage upon damage. So I can remember sitting at Port Phillip Prison in the... In, in the maximum security area where uh, Phil was in the SWAT and, you know, I, I had met him before and I was getting all these stories about this guy and how, you know, how serious he was. And I think, gee, what's he going to be like, this this fellow? He's always, you know, in management and he's, I can't get to see him. Sometimes I sit for an hour as the guards say, no, no, you're not, you can't see Phil, you know, this and that trouble going on. And I thought, wow, when I finally met him, what's going to happen here? Well, I finally met him at Fulham Prison. And he, was, he was the gentlest, kind of loveliest man, but his experiences of life in the prison system had, had understandably caused him anger and concern. And it doesn't take much in the prison to, for you to be then, you know, mm. sometimes in, in, in restraint and in solitary confinement for days on end. Now, that's not helping, but fortunately, Phil, when we met, you know, here he was with a big smile and his art was absolutely stunning. Um, he exhibited in the confined exhibitions and he joined the program. He did it for a few years. We sold some of his art. He's never been back to prison. Amazing. You know? Yeah, it's quite extraordinary. So I think it's you know, never judge a book by its cover. And it, we take everyone in the program at face value, just one-on-one, um, listen to their story, try and understand what they know or don't know and try and support them individually rather than focusing on what their behaviour might have been or, or currently is. You know, we understand that, or I believe anyway, that change, everyone can make change. And I've seen it for some really hardened um, long-term offenders. Mm. Yeah. And Kent, just to just before we wrap up, so tonight's the launch. So, what are the details, and where can people go to find out more? Right, for this uh, wonderful ten-year mile, milestone of confined, look, it is on at the Carlisle Street Art Space at the St Kilda Town Hall. It is open to the public every day from today until the twenty-seventh of February. The only day it's not open is Sunday. All the information's on our website, which is www.thetorch.org.au. The official launch is tonight from 6 to 8, and uh, a man who taught me so much and has been instrumental in helping me and supporting me with this, Uncle Jim Berg, Gunditjmara Elder, will be officially launching the show. Amazing, and people should get down there and appreciate the art, and if you can afford it, uh, buy some artwork because all the money goes to people inside. Um, thank you so much, Kent, for coming on this morning and talking with us about Confine 10. Hi, it's great to be and thank you so much for your support. Thanks. Okay. Help Freesia support the rights of Indigenous Australians. They mean to save our culture and save our dreams, our footprints, dreams, our song run and keep our culture going strong. Of course, a lot of the Aboriginals, having been stolen, were put into state care and also others were... The recognition were... of what our people have been through in the last 200 years, the recognition of our culture in the last 40,000 years and the recognition of where we are heading into the future. Welcome to uh, Survival Day, Invasion Day. 223 years ago, the white man landed on our shore. Subscribe to 3CR and help keep Indigenous voices on air. Call us on 94198377 or visit 3cr.org.au. Subscribe now. <laughs> Some people think little girls should be seen and not heard, but I think... Wayward Girl, the intersectional feminist music show. Tune in Fridays 9 to 10 through summer 
on 3CR. love our 3CR Radical Radio t-shirts and so do we. They're 100% cotton and Australian made and you can get one for just $30. They come in black, dark grey and a cool light grey. To nab one of these beauties, drop into the station at 21 Smith Street or order by phoning 94198377 or you can visit us online at 3cr.org.au forward slash shop. Come on, you know you want one. You're listening to 3CR Thursday Breakfast, 8.55am. It's 7.53 at the moment, and that track was Numb by Tando featuring Remy. I'm very excited because I'm going to go see Tando this Friday night, along with Remy and Samba the Great. Um, Yeah, and in just a moment we'll jump into an interview, but first up we might just play a few more announcements for you. 3CR programs provide information and analysis you won't hear in the mainstream. Today we'll be looking at the legacy of the US war on Vietnam on Laos. And as far as corporate capitalism is concerned, it is the worst political and economic system that you can have. Our laws about jailing refugees and asylum seekers are so well crafted. Sex is not irrelevant and we like who we are, but we don't have to be imprisoned by our gender. Become a subscriber today. Call us on 9419 8377 or visit 3cr.org.au. 3CR, the voice of dissent. Don't have a million dollars and still want to have a good education for your kid? Tune into the Dogs Program. We are the defenders of government schools. 12pm on Saturdays here on 3CR. 855 and AM Dial podcast streaming live on 3cr.org.au and 3CR Digital. We defend government schools because they need it. Have you ever wondered about the meaning of the terms identity politics, intersectionality, turf or institutional racism? Same here. This summer, Tuesday Breakfast is going back to school to answer these questions and more. Join us as we learn from experts, academics, writers, activists and people with lived experiences to share their knowledge on decolonization, sovereignty and self-determination, race and identity, sexuality and gender, and disability and accessibility. Knowledge shouldn't be locked away at a university, so let us bring it to you. Tune into Summer School, Tuesday mornings from 7am, starting the 8th of January, 855 am or via 3cr.org.au. And check out our Instagram, 3CR Tuesday Breakfast, for more details. Most LGBTIQ people experience positive, intimate and family relationships. However, like cisgendered heterosexual people, some LGBTIQ people experience abuse and violence in their relationships. With Respect is a new family violence service for LGBTIQ plus Victorians, providing counselling and recovery programs for victims and survivors of family violence and help for people using violence who want to stop. With Respect is a partnership between queer 
Space, Thorn Harbour Health, Switchboard Victoria and Transgender Victoria. For more information, visit withrespect.org.au or call 1-800-542-847. With Respect is not a crisis service. If you need immediate help, call 000. A 3CR supporter. You're on 3CR 855 AM. Uh, it's right on 7.56 and... Um, up next, we're about to speak with Nick Kent. Uh, in, so in 2018, uh, Thursday Breakfast covered a number of tragic and very preventable deaths that occurred at both Death, uh, DEFCON 1 and Knockout Games of Destiny. Uh, and then since then, over the summer, there have been um, uh, more deaths. So there was another death at Lost Paradise, one at FOMO, and suspected drug, a drug overdose at Beyond the Valley. Uh, and then over the weekend, so there were a number of festivals over the weekend, and there were 15 hospitalisations due to suspected drug overdoses. Um, so there's a new youth-led campaign called uh, Hashtag Be Heard Not Harmed, which was launched recently calling for pill testing at events such as festivals. And to speak with us today... We have Nick Kent, the National Director of Students for Sensible Drug Policy Australia. Uh, Nick has a background in teaching and drug education and is passionate about evidence-based drug policies which engage young people. Welcome, Nick. Thanks for having me. Thanks for coming on the show this morning. Um, So Thursday Breakfast over the last few months has really been covering this issue. It's um, an issue that we really care about here. And Mm. there was um, an op-ed at the end of last year that said that Deaths are being used as drug education, um, which is true and it's horrendous. So what is this new campaign advocating for? Mm. Um, So Be Heard Not Harmed is our youth-led campaign run by Students for Sensible Drug Policy um, uh, in collaboration with our friends at DanceWise and DanceWise New South Wales, which are um, a music festival harm reduction service that actually receives state government funding. Um, And, yeah, we've been working with DanceWise um, and their parent organisations, Harm Reduction Victoria and the New South Wales Users and AIDS Association, um, to build a campaign um, that really elevates young people's voices in the debate around pill testing. so that's really the um, the main theory behind our campaign. Um, and you mentioned the deaths that at DEFCON 1, um, back when this all started, this this festival season in September. Um, and in my in my role, I was actually invited to a parliamentary session in Sydney um, to. Um, you know, look at the issue. Um, it was called by members of the progressive crossbench who were trying to um, build a consensus for pill testing within the New South Wales Parliament. Um, and there was a whole bunch of experts and academics and people from the music industry and really only myself there to represent um, young people who are overwhelmingly the people most affected by this um, by this issue, um, by the lack of um, evidence-based government policy on it. Um, and funnily enough, they're also the most, pe- like the people that we hear least from in the debate. Um, so whenever, whenever this the sort of media narrative plays out after death um, that we continue to see and will probably continue to see for the rest of the festival season. Um, it's overwhelmingly the police commissioners and your conservative premiers and your conservative media commentators that get to control the narrative around it. And we don't really hear from the people on the ground, um, the people at the music festivals, the people who are working there, people who have harm reduction experience, and most importantly, the young people who are there, some of them who are actually using drugs themselves, don't have a voice in the debate and they're getting talked about a lot. Mm. Um, 
and so we really wanted to use our networks as peers, as young people, um, some of us as young people who use drugs within our organisation, um, to build a campaign um, that will like really speak to young people and will explain to young people that they're, we believe, and a lot of our supporters believe, all of our supporters believe, that we're really the missing link in this policy change and that a youth-led campaign that links their voices up with MPs, um, with people in power, um, will ultimately be the one to get this change over the line. So that's mm. what our campaign's about. Fantastic. And Nick, how are you going to get um, young people involved? So what are some of the events and actions that you'll be taking? Mm. So we started with a trial, I guess, back in November um, at Strawberry Fields Music Festival. So some of our Sydney and Melbourne teams met um, on the Murray to get the message out there at music festivals and see if our sort of campaign brand and our messages were going to work with our peers. Um, and they overwhelmingly did. So just in one afternoon of petition gathering, we gathered over 500 petition signatures. Um, and that's something that we've done at a number of festivals since. So um, a, a lot of our Victoria team just got back from Rainbow Serpent Festival, um, where we spent um, a lot of the time just going around, speaking to people about the issue, um, gathering footage, um, giving people an opportunity to tell their personal stories around the issue um, in a safe and, and confidential way. Um, and, um, yeah, really getting people into our petition. And um, um, and then we have a number of other sort of campaign strategies um, which really involves a number of sort of advocacy workshops that we're hosting every month in Melbourne and Sydney and um, increasingly out in Perth where we've got a bit of a team forming too, um, which will really train young people up on the issue, um, on the evidence around the issue, which is um, overwhelmingly in support of reform. Um, so, yeah, it's sort of a, a known public health reform when this sort of issue occurs um, and um, there's really not really any tangible argument against it. So really just giving young people the language around it um, and then working with our um, sort of our mentors in policy. We've got a lot of uh, supporters in the political space, particularly in the minor parties, um, to really map out the sort of political space um, which um, politicians particularly need to hear from us um, and then doing targeted actions to make sure that they hear our voices um, and we've sort of got a number of things planned throughout February, both at music festivals um, at on university campuses, as at uh, our ch university chapters that students for sensible drug policy head back to campus. Um, we've got a number of things planned to be getting student unions involved in the campaign and sort of harnessing their networks as well, um, and really building a broad-based youth coalition um, that spans nightclubs, festivals, unions, and any place where young people gather um, to get the petition out there and then to offer that opportunity for a further voice for people who want to who want to get more involved. And, and Nick, with um, so. So we spoke a couple of months ago to Peter Malins about mm -hmm. um, pill, pill testing and also sniffer dogs as well. And so yep. pill testing has been trialled in the ACT and it's also mm. been trialled elsewhere. There's a recent, um, there was a recent, I think, trial called MAST in the UK. So yep. um, what are some of the results of those pill testing trials that have occurred nationally and globally? Mm. So what they indicate, um, so there's some trials and there's also some very well-established services. So pill testing is not really something that, um, I mean, you know, we're probably going to have to sit through a number of trials in Australia before they'll do the real thing, but it is a, a tried and tested public health measure. So there's around 30 services operating internationally, most of them in Europe and North America. Um, and um, what they overwhelmingly show is that when people are given an opportunity to have access to more information about what drugs they're taking, that a significant percentage will um, choose to discard their substance and not take something that has a risk of 
um, overdose or a risk of um, containing harmful contaminants that might result in in a fatality or a hospitalisation. Um, so I think off the top of my head, the statistics from the Groove and the Moo report showed that um, I think there was around 12% of people said they were definitely going to discard their substance, and I think between 20 and 30% of people uh, indicated that they, the information that they had received from the harm reduction intervention had made them rethink their drug use um, and would make them use their drugs in a more or potentially less harmful way. And, um, sorry, and that with, sort of, with those yeah. statistics, sorry, so is that 12% of the um, total number of people that had their drugs tested or the total number of people that were told their drugs may contain substances that are dangerous? Uh, that's the total number of people at the, uh, who use this service. Oh, fantastic. Mm, yeah. And so, and a lot of this, a lot of the media has been really focused on New South Wales because mm-hmm. um, the New South Wales Premier has come out um, very much in favour of, I guess, um, punitive measures mm-hmm. to yeah. um, punish young people for drug use and also punish people that might be dealing drugs. And often those people are the same people, so they're friends that are selling drugs to other friends. Um, mm-hmm. So, how is uh, the campaign going to kind of? F- focus this particularly, you know, in a Victorian setting or Victorian context, how will this uh, impact Victorian young people? Mm. So, yeah, we've really noticed, I mean, my job as a national director is to sort of uh, get this national campaign up and that our campaign is called the National Youth-Led Campaign and that's kind of exactly what it is. So we've got teams in Sydney, Melbourne and Perth collaborating on our overall message, our overall brand and our sort of general campaign strategy. Um, but what the campaign's looking like in each state is becoming quite unique to that state's individual politics because obviously it's a state-based policy area that's going to have uh, whether the decision to change will be made. Um, so in terms of Victoria, um, we've got a number of actions planned over the next month and we're really aiming to target um, a number of ministers in the in the Andrews government and really hold them to account for their message when they were recently elected that they're sort of overseeing the most progressive government in the most progressive state in Victoria. Um, so we've got sort of a fair bit of... Um, um, yeah, targeted actions that we've actually been developing with the help of keen allies such as Fiona Patton um, in the in the upper house in the Victorian Parliament, um, and we're really quite optimistic that um, we have a strong argument that will hopefully play out in a similar way to the in, how the injecting facility policy change happened in Victoria, which was essentially an overnight change that the government made when they realised that community opinion wasn't really where they thought it was. Um, so it was sort of like seeing no, 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 every day until eventually there was a yes. And to be honest, I, I imagine that it will probably be the same um, within the Victorian um, political space, um, given that we're going to have a, a Labor-Andrews government for quite some time. I look forward to working with them on this issue and to making them see that young people um, want this, that young people need this, and there aren't really any other barriers. Uh, in terms of our New South Wales campaign, it is essentially like operating a campaign in another country because it is a completely different mm. jurisdiction in terms of this area. It's a very different political landscape. Um, and, yeah, I'm Melbourne-based, but I've got my head in Sydney about half the time these days because there is a lot going on up there and it is where a lot of the momentum around this issue is um, this season with most of the deaths being in New South Wales. Um, and it is, like I said, yeah, just a different space where they obviously have a conservative liberal government um, with its head completely in the sand. But, the, uh, you know, as I, as I continue to get my head around New South Wales politics with some of our team on the ground up there, some of our mentors in Sydney, um, it's, um, it, it's looking like that government's not doing 
like very well in, ahead of the, the election in March, and we just saw one of our allies, um, allied organisations, Unharm, um, who's been running a petition for several years with the help of Adriana Buccianti, who's the mother of a man who uh, lost his life at Rainbow Seven in 2012, um, deliver a petition of 100,000 signatures um, to the New South Wales Labor leader, uh, the opposition leader, who has said that they will call a drug summit um, if they um, if they win the state election in March. Um, which is essentially Labor language for we'll consult the evidence, and we all know what that means. And, Nick, just because we're almost out of time, I just wanted to um, get you to explain how people can get involved, because this is a youth-led campaign, and and the SSDP are trying to get young people involved, um, not just online, but also in person. So how can people find out about the campaign and get involved? Sure. So if you head to beheardnotharmed.com and you can sign our petition, uh, by signing our petition, you'll you'll get into our database and we'll be in touch again um, if you click that you'd like to receive further updates. Um, we'll definitely be in touch with um, with a, a whole range of activities throughout the coming months that people can be involved in, whether that's one-off um, sort of events that they'd uh, like to participate in. So we've been asked to have a presence at a number of music festivals throughout February, um, or whether they'd like to get involved further by attending one of our advocacy workshops and learn how to speak about the campaign to their local representatives or, or even media if they'd like. Um, and, um, and lastly... Um, we also have all of our SSDP chapters, so we've got 10 chapters around the country, um, and we're always looking to set up more. And you don't actually need to be an enrolled student. You can just be a young person who's interested, who can hang out with one of our local chapters on campus um, and actually do advocacy in those spaces where young people meet at universities and TAFEs. Um, so, yeah, there's lots of ways to get involved with the campaign. Um, and, yeah, head to beheardnotharm.com, or you can join one of our chapters at ssdp.org.au. Awesome. Thank you so much, uh, Nick, for coming on the show today um, and good luck with the campaign. Thanks very much for having us, Katya. Bye. Thanks. Bye. You're listening to 3CR Thursday Breakfast, 8.55am. Katia was just chatting with Nick Kent from Students for Sensible Drug Policy about the importance of pill testing. And right now we're going to jump into a track called Inma by Electric Fields. Guatemala. I'm Black Betty, and you can join me for Black Noise Radio each Thursday from 2 to 3 p.m. Join me each week as I serve you up a deadly fine offering of all things black as we explore black Australia and everything fabulous it has on the offer. We'll check out and see what's making black news locally and from right around Australia. And we'll explore all things Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander and the deadly solid culture and people with a look at community news, views, music, culture and the arts. Hope you can join me for Black Noise Radio featuring black news, views, current affairs, music, culture and the arts from an Aboriginal woman's perspective. That's me, Black Betty. I'll see you Thursdays at 2. You're listening to 3CR Thursday Breakfast, 8.55am. It's quarter past eight. And now we're going to be chatting about a very special event um, happening at the Immigration Museum next Friday, 8th of February, called Summer Courtyard I Feel Love, which takes inspiration from its specially commissioned Love Exhibition, um, which is celebrating Australia's vibrant queer community, artistic expression and love in all its guises. And this morning we're really lucky to be chatting with Benji Ra, as well as Will and Garrett Huxley from the Huxleys. Good morning, everyone. Good morning. 
Good morning. Good morning. So I was wondering, maybe I'll just ask each of you to introduce yourselves. Benjira, would you like to um, yeah, kick off for us, please? Sure. Um, hi, I'm Benji. Good morning, Melbourne. <laughs> um, I'm an artist, a dancer, um, currently based in Gadigal land, um, and I, um, I'm the mother of the House of Slay, which is kind of like a, um, a small, uh, small house of, uh, mostly, um, Asia Pacific, uh, young queer people. Um, and we, uh, perform in, um, in like traditional, non-traditional spaces. And basically being a mother is like, uh, a full-time role for me right now. So, um, currently trying to find the balance between that responsibility and also being a practicing artist. Amazing. And Willow Garrett, would you be able to, um, tell us a bit about the Huxleys? Yeah, so I'm Will and I'm Garrett. Hi, good morning. Good morning. Yeah, we are um, the Huxleys and we work as a we're we're um, partners in in love, but also creatively, and we um, make visual art and performance art as the Huxleys. We make costumes and sort of surreal, otherworldly shapes, and our work sort of tries to challenge the ideas of gender and 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 sort of make a magical escape from everyday life for us, but also for our audiences. Wonderful. And Benji, would you be able to share with us um, a bit about the up, your upcoming performance at the Immigration Museum next Friday? So, well, it's still coming together. <laughs> um, but I guess, um, I guess it's kind of interesting because it's like at the Immigration Museum and there's like you know, this theme of love. And which is kind of like exciting and cute for us to explore as like a central as a, as a central theme. And um, so I'll be working with two of my daughters and so my sisters, um, Jamaica and Kilia. Um, and I guess like uh, I don't know. I mean, I, we were like rehearsing yesterday, and like I was like, oh, like we should really like consider this like conceptual theme of like the migration museum, and then. And we started to speak about, uh, I guess, like the body as like this as a site of migration, and that has its own kind of like borders and a place that kind of offers um, refuge at times, but also can kind of like can make you feel completely alienated. I think like as young trans people of color, that that the body is kind of like an ongoing negotiation, and then. Also, like, you know, and then this idea of love, like, what does love mean for us? And it's like, I think, you know, we're always talking about love in our community. And I think, like, you know, I put love as, like, something I like to explore in my work in my bio one. And then I took it out because I was like, no, that doesn't make sense. But I actually think it's so core. And I think, like, love is so radical, especially in conversations when you're talking about love as a trans person or love as a person of color and um, like how love can you know can be collective and can can um, doesn't have to be this like um, this kind of like thematic thing that's like a part of this dominant narrative that um, love can be super radical and has a lot of power to like change a lot of those kind of hierarchies in society.
Yes, absolutely. Um, I feel like I'm sitting here just being like, so excited with your response because um, I, I, you know, I used to practice as an artist myself and I was involved in Next Wave Festival for Emerging Artists a few years back and we did a project um, all around love and I remember at the time it sort of sometimes felt quite corny when you're like, yeah, I'm just really interested in love. Yeah. But, but I 100% agree with you that actually like, you know, like, yeah, committing to a practice of love and a politics and ethics of love I think is one of the most radical things we can do as yeah. whether as creatives or just as people in the world. Um, yeah. But so, uh, Will or Garrett, Garrett, I was wondering if you could share with us, I guess, yeah, your views on love and its significance in your work more broadly. Yeah, well, I feel like within our case, we really love to celebrate um, love in our work because that's the creative element coming together as partners really sort of fueled our love and kind of we, we live and love together, but we create together and the, the visual work and the creation that we do is sort of, is so strong for us that it kind of helps sort of save us in a way. And we feel, I feel like we're closer when we make art together. So our sort of love is very much based around the creation of art and putting our voices out there and, and celebrating our queer love. So everything we do is kind of, you know, outrageous celebration of being queer and being as magical and as beautiful as we want to be and, and not necessarily caring what other people think, whether it is beautiful or, or not. But for us, it's our special world and it's just nice that other people are interested and accepting of it. But it, it's it's not important to us what necessarily what other people think, but we are just going to keep creating this and putting as much queer, outrageous kind of energy into what we do. And that's what was nice about being asked to be in the Immigration Museum's exhibition, was uh, being open to different styles of love and different voices in the world of love. Love is often very a heteronormative kind of idea. And we feel that, you know, it's nice to be that our love is, you know, accepted, but also we want queer love to be more fabulous, more outrageousness, you know, then but for us, that's what it is. Yeah, and for um, for listeners who haven't witnessed uh, one of your incredible performances before, what can folks expect, um, yeah, from your involvement in next Friday's special event? Well, it's definitely going to be colourful uh, and it's going to be extreme. Uh, um, I think they yeah, expect to over the top. It's a good idea. Uh, and we're also... Um, playing homage to a, a great Australian female artist. <laughs> I won't give away too much, but it's definitely going to involve um, lots of uh, chul and and very hot costumes. Amazing. Um, and, yeah, maybe we've got to wrap up quite soon, but Benji, I was just wondering if you could share with us you know, given given what you were saying before about, you know, feeling like wanting to be grounded in, I guess, love sort of more broadly in your work, um, what's coming up for you on the horizon or what are you excited about at the moment, um, yeah, either in your own work or in other folks' work? What am I excited about? I don't know. 2019 feels a little bit daunting. I think there's, like, so much going on in the world, like, politically and socially, and that affects so many of our communities and there's a lot to focus on but like I guess I guess coming from um just out of like uh last week's rally <laughs> survival day rally um there's like a lot of hope and I'm actually, I'm actually really excited about the next generation and 
I'm excited this year to kind of really be working with like a lot of young people or like my community and really kind of like, I'm, I don't know, I'm just like really blown away by like um, the next generation, especially of queer people of color who are kind of like really in a space of like decolonizing their practices and using this like language to like, um, to, uh, <clears throat> to, to mold their identities and 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 uh, have this like kind of clear vision of like what they want in the world and who they want to be. Um, yeah, I think that's it. And also, I've, we've got a, a lot of things coming up um, in our community as well. Like I've got Kissy Ball coming up in a couple of weeks, and um, I think from there, which is such a big platform for like the Sydney uh, queer. Uh, scene it's like um a lot of little things come come from that and it's like also like a also like a uh a moment for a lot of queer people of color to come together in need and I find it's always exciting because connections are always important and yeah. Yeah, amazing. Um, and actually, I just want to ask Benji one more question because mm-hmm. um, what, what you were saying before about the context of performing at the Immigration Museum really struck me about how, you know, you sort of feel like that is, yeah, the way, the way both, you know, this theme of love but also this theme of, you know, um, migration and bodies is, mm-hmm. yeah, you're really working with that. It feels really central. Would you just be able to touch on that, the importance of that context a little bit more for us? Yeah. Um I mean, also, I just wanted to, like, I was also thinking about this thing, like, uh, it was like a meme I saw a few weeks ago, but um, it was just a quote from someone that said, like, you know, like, they talked about the migration, like, the generational gap between, um, you know, migrant parents and their kids, and it, you know, it was like, you know, um, our parents, especially from my mom, was, like, tasked with the job of survival, you know, in like when she when she um, migrated here from the Philippines, and um, I was like, what does that mean, like for us? Because like in our, our, our generation, like we're tasked with sometimes more of the we had the task of like self-realization and like finding love, and like I was like, it's like yeah, like maybe there's these kind of things of like love is like is that the for my generation, like, does my mom have the like the space and the, did she have the space and the um, and the opportunity to love as I do and to to think about love in that way? But um, so thinking about that and then thinking about that, like, also like like love is just it's like so varied and that um, in a in the kind of like idea of like queer love and it's a collective and it's like being but also self-love and that comes back to this like inner landscape that we're always working with and I think that that inner landscape is like so vast and can have so many borders in a queer body and that there's so much that can be censored for us and that we're constantly trying to I don't know to (laughs) it sounds great but always constantly constantly decolonizing our bodies but also recolonizing our bodies for ourselves so that we can claim our, our, our identities and who we are and our language and um, yeah I feel like there's a whole 
like the, the whole thing <laughs> between migration and the body and yeah. the, the clay body as well. Yeah. Yeah. Thank you, Benji. It's so, yeah, so powerful to hear this morning. Um, and Will and Garrett, I just wanted just to wrap up. Would you be able to tell us how can we find out more about your work and about this event you're performing in next Friday? Yeah, so the um, ex- the immigration love exhibition is on at the moment. It's on until the end of April, and our sort of story is, is detailed in that show. But they can also um, check out our, our Instagram, or um, also, yeah, I, I'd recommend going on going along to to this love party. It's going to be a really beautiful night, and we're so honoured to be performing alongside Benji and also Zodiac, who is an Indigenous queen who is going to be hosting the night, and she sounds fantastic. So we're super excited about that. Yeah, amazing. And Benji, how can we find out more about your work too? Um, I don't have a website. I'm not professional. <laughs> but you can just find me on Instagram, on New Gender Who Does. That's my, <laughs> that's my thing. But... um. Uh, you can just, I don't know. Yeah, that's how you find me. Yeah. <laughs> well, very, like millennial about it. <laughs> well, thank you so much, Will, Garrett and Benji, for chatting with us this morning. Um, Cannot um, recommend listeners um, to, enough to, you know, check out your work, check out House of Slay, check out the Huxleys, and please do all come along next Friday, 8th of February, to the Immigration Museum for a very special event called Summer Courtyard, I Feel Love. We'll all be there. Um, hope you are too. Hope you all have a great day. You're on 3CR, 855 AM. It's just almost time to wrap up. It's 8.29. So today, just quickly recapping, we spoke to Kent Morris from The Torch, uh, Nick Kent from Students for Sensible Drug Policy, and um, finally that was the Huxleys and Benji Ja, was it? Ra. Sorry, Benji Ra, um, speaking about their upcoming art show at the Immigration Museum. So thank you, Shahrazad and M. Great morning. Uh, thank you, Katya. Yeah, and I just, um, just in the last little few seconds, just wanted to let people know as well, you know, I hope everyone was at the rally on Saturday, the Invasion Day rally, um, and you can listen back to 3CR's broadcast um, online. So I did a special all-day broadcast during Invasion Day. Um, and also, you know, yesterday Will on um, Wednesday Breakfast played some um, audio from the Dawn service as well. If anyone wants to listen back to that, would strongly recommend. But otherwise, tune in tomorrow for a Friday Breakfast and we'll be back next week. Next up, we have Lost in Science. 3CR relies on the support of ethical organisations to keep our vital community of voices on air. And we'd like to thank our breakfast supporters, the new international bookshop, Nibs, at Trades Hall, and eco-friendly paper and printing outfit, Earth Greetings. You can check them out at nibs.org.au and earthgreetings.com.au. And if you'd like more information on how your organisation can become a 3CR supporter, contact the station on 03 9419 8377.